Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. So since the beginning of the year, we have been going through the book of Acts, and I don't know about you, but I thoroughly enjoyed studying the book of Acts. I I always have. I love seeing what the early church did, the things that they encountered. So to give you just a, a quick recap over the past six, almost seven months, we saw the early church in action under the power and the leadership of God's Holy Spirit. We saw God radically change lives of people like Saul of Tarsus and, and then use him and work through him in miraculous ways. We learned how the church relied on the power of prayer, not just the leadership of the Holy Spirit, how they wrestled with doctrine and different practices, how they dealt with opposition and dealt with persecution, and how God was faithful every single step of the way. Now, last week, we kind of circled back into Matthew chapter 16 in the heart of the gospel to what I think is the very foundation of the church. Now, many will argue, and I think there's a lot of credence to this, that the church was founded on the day of Pentecost. But I also think that the foundation for the church was laid when Jesus told his disciples that the church will be built on me, upon this rock, upon this truth, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And not even the gates of hell will prevail against her. Now, this morning we're going to be doing a little more teaching, I think, than preaching. We're going to start a mini-series, if you will, that will take us through July. And for the next three weeks, we're going to really pick apart the Great Commission. We're going to go back to uh, those orders for the church that Jesus gave right before He left this world. And we're going to talk about, one, how our church vision... And our purpose statement are tied to Jesus' final words to his church. And then, what does that mean for us as individuals? So, let's look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. If you have not memorized this passage of Scripture, I highly encourage you to do so. And we're going to be looking at it every week for the next three weeks. So you should, you should be able to do this. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this. It says, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. These words known as the Great Commission, have been called the marching orders for Christ's church. It's the great commission. It's not the great suggestion. It's not the great omission, even though sometimes we tend to omit it from our spiritual lives. One would think, right, that that Jesus' final words would be incredibly important. The final thing that Jesus says before He leaves this earth and ascends back to the Father, that we would just hang on this. But here, here's the thing. Unfortunately, we have in large part missed the mark in knowing and understanding the Great Commission. I say that because research tells us this. Barner Research tells us 
that 51% of churchgoers do not know of the Great Commission. Now, even worse, that doesn't mean that the other half do know it. He says 25% say, yes, I know of it, but I do not know what it means. 6% say, well, I'm not sure either way, which means only 17% of churchgoers know the Great Commission and can tell you what it means. That's less than one in five people sitting in the church pews this morning can tell you what the Great Commission is and exactly what it means for, for us. That's rough. That's disheartening to me. Now, there's many implications of this. One, it means that there's a tremendous amount of work still to be done globally. I shared this statistic with somebody earlier this week, and they, they didn't believe me. But do you realize there are 7.84 billion people in this world today? That's a lot of people. Guess how many of those have not been reached with the gospel? Now we think, Pastor, we've got internet, we've got TV, we've got missionaries going all over the place. Surely most of the world has at least been evangelized. No, 3.28 billion of the people in the world today are considered totally unreached. That's 41.8% of people in our world who are unreached. Now what does unreached mean? According to the Joshua Project, unreached means that there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize this people group. Just shy of half of the global population has not only not heard the gospel, but they have a slim chance of hearing the gospel today. Now another implication hits closer to home, and that is that a lack of knowledge or even not fully understanding the Great Commission leads us to not fulfilling it as a church and as individuals as Christ intended us to do so. So, let's begin this three-week journey by first digging into what the Great Commission really says. And the first thing we have to understand is that we have one. You go back to that, you see a lot of action words there, right? But there's only one direct command in the Great Commission. Do you realize what that is in the Greek language? We are commissioned to make disciples. One of my favorite analogies for the Christian life is borrowed from the Lord Jesus. I like to share this with people. Jesus tells his followers that you will look at them and you will know them by their fruit, right? Now, I get this. I like fruit. It's simple for me to understand. And so, you know, I look at an apple tree and I realize if I've got apples and I've got an apple tree, it's going to produce more apples. See, this is not rocket science. If I've got an old mulberry tree in the backyard, it's going to produce more mulberries. I love mulberries, by the way, if you've got any. Now, I ask Christians, if this is true for us, and Jesus says you'll know us by our fruit, then what fruit does a Christian produce? It's not so clear, is it? Alright. So, I ask this question, I get a lot of different answers. Some people say it's the fruit of the Spirit. Some people say it's good deeds, it's love. But I did hear the right answer out there somewhere. Christ, Christians will produce more Christians. In other words, disciples will beget disciples. Now, when we translate the Great Commission into English from the original Greek, Again, we see all these actions words, go, make, baptize, teach. And we look at them as being equal or even in order of importance. Like go has to be important because it's first, right? But in the Greek, the Great Commission consists of one command or one precept 
three participles in one promise. So for now, what we've got to understand is that the overarching command, the primary action or the directive of the Great Commission for us is to make disciples. It has even been inadequately translated. If you look in some of your Bibles, it probably says, go and teach the nations. Two different words, though. The word in the Greek means to disciple or to make disciples. Now, the task at hand, discipling the nation, is nations, is supported by those three pillars of going, teaching, and baptizing. They support God's primary command to us through the Great Commission of making disciples. And all of it is undergirded by what I think is the promise of the ages. When Jesus looks at his disciples, he says, wait a minute, remember, or lo, I am with thee, even to the end of the ages, that Christ himself will be with us through it all. So we got to make disciples. And this morning, we're going to focus on the first piece of our church motto. If you look at the front of your bulletin every week, you've got these three words, right? Gather, grow, and go. Where do you think we got that? Two places. One, our church purpose statement, which I'll share with you in a moment, because in case you don't know. But the other place is right here in the Great Commission, and those three participles of going, teaching, and baptizing. So let's talk about gather this morning. We are commissioned to gather. And this goes all the way back to the very need for Christ's church in the world. Remember back in the early books, uh, early chapters of the book of Acts, in the early church, the church would gather how often? Daily. With one another. And then they would bring others into this gathering or into, as Jesus would call it, this ecclesia or this group of called out ones. And likewise, the baptism participle or that word baptism in the Great Commission, to me, one, it reaffirms that this world needs Christ's church, that we need to gather together as a body of believers, but also by baptizing others and new believers into this body, we gather others into the family of God. Now, because this is the organization, the church, this is the organization that God has chosen to use for this. He has chosen the church to be the sending and the discipling agency to fulfill the Great Commission. The church is critically important. You cannot fulfill the Great Commission apart from the church. I want you to understand that. But what we see about the Great Commission is that to completely fulfill it, you cannot have one part without the others. It's a never-ending cycle. Now, we say gather, grow, and go. But here's what it really could say if we had enough room. It could say go, go get them, gather, grow, go, gather, grow, go, gather, grow, go, get. It just keeps on going. And this is the way that the Great Commission is supposed to work. This is the way that making disciples is supposed to work. Last week, we discussed how our mission, the Great Commission, is so much greater than any single individual that it takes this body working together in unity and solidarity to be able to complete this impossible task of discipling the nations. How many things it's going to be easy for us to reach and disciple 3.28 billion lost people? It's a daunting task, isn't it? But as we go and we preach the gospel through all creation, as Mark would say, we gather people into this family, into this body, from every tongue, and every tribe, and every nation, into God's family. And in this process, we do not forsake the assembling of ourselves, 
which is so important, but we regularly and we routinely gather together for several purposes. Now, here's where I want to talk about our church purpose statement for just a moment. Maybe some of you have never seen this, but this is a really well thought out, well written statement that I believe was put together prayerfully and intentionally. And our purpose statement as a church says something like this. It says, the purpose of First Baptist Church is to be a fellowship of believers that seeks to worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, to win the lost to Christ, to lead Christians toward maturity and discipleship, to minister with Christian love to the human needs in our community, and to support missions here and abroad. Now, I will in the future be recommending that we add one more element to this, and that's an element that has something to do with praying together as a church family. Because everything that we do, if we're gathering for fellowship, if we're going out on mission, whatever we do has to be supported by God's people praying together. So in our purpose statement, we gather one for fellowship. We are a fellowship of believers to experience and to foster and to develop this koinonia fellowship of the New Testament. We gather for worship. And I'll talk about gathering for prayer because we do that and it's so important. But overall, remember... Overall, we gather for discipleship, to make disciples. So very quickly, let's look at these, not in any order of importance. But let's talk about gathering for fellowship. There are a lot of ways to enjoy authentic Christian fellowship through the life of First Baptist Church. Mrs. Ashburn talked about one of the the big ones, which is Sunday school. You will grow closer in these relationships with other believers through these small groups like Sunday school and our Sunday night and Wednesday night discussions and Bible studies. But there's a lot of other great groups as well. Think of things like WMU. that Some of these ladies are getting drafted into, and I'm so proud of them for being part of that. You've got Brotherhood who meets every month for breakfast, for fellowship, for mission projects. You've got the Ball Club, which meets... Uh, monthly, and we're going to be meeting together starting in August with the ball club and doing some fellowship activities with them. There's a lot of great ways to get plugged in and to be part of the church family and just enjoy being around like-minded individuals who love Jesus. That's important. We'll also enjoy church-wide fellowships. Now, I was so pleased with our get-together last Sunday night for Independence Day and for everybody that came out to be part of that. It was just a lot of fun. A lot of fun to be around your church family for no other reason to just enjoy one another's company and eat some good watermelon and food. So thank you all for providing for that. So one of the things we see the early church doing in Acts chapter 2, it says that they were dedicated to the fellowship, to the koinonia, and we know that it made the church stronger. The second thing is we gather for worship. As a church, we meet corporately for worship at least once a week. And yeah, I get that you can worship God on your own, that you can worship God in the car, and you can worship God in the deer stand, you can worship God in the bass boat. And listen, you should do all those things. But there's something special about coming together as the body of Christ, worshiping together corporately. We need that element of worship in our lives because we can get disconnected from the vine and become unhealthy if we're not careful. Like fellowship, we see the early church meeting not just weekly as we do, but they met every single day in the temple from worship. And the Bible says that they broke bread from house to house. And lastly, we gather for prayer. And although it's not part of our purpose statement yet, prayer, like I said, is the fuel for everything that we do as a church. As some have said, prayer is not about the work. Prayer is the work. Prayer is where the battles are won. 
Prayer is where those spiritual strongholds are torn down. Prayer is where God does things that we simply cannot do in and of our own abilities. And so it's important for us, for the church, to gather together, united together in prayer. And there's times, church, that we should gather just for the purpose of praying. Not listening to me preach. Not digging into what the Bible has to say, but coming together in one mind and one accord, talking and spending time with our Heavenly Father. Even Jesus said, my house shall be called a house, not of music, not of praise, not of preaching, but a house of prayer. And so gathering is only one part of the Great Commission. And we're going to hit the other two things in the next coming, in the next two weeks. But let's not forget, again, if if you hear one thing, let's not forget this. All of this, everything that we do, going, teaching, baptizing, all falls under the umbrella of making disciples. It's what we're called to do. And in this first message this morning, I want to end where we began just to make sure that we know, one, what it is that we're supposed to be as a disciple, but two, what it is that we're supposed to make if we are called to make other disciples. And so this word disciple, it occurs 266 times throughout the New Testament, mostly in the Gospels. And in its simplest definition, a disciple is simply a learner. It's a student, a pupil, one that is learning from someone else. But when you dig into Jesus' methods for discipleship, and we're going to talk much more in much more detail about how Jesus made disciples. And when you dig into it, though, it's so much deeper Guys, it's so much deeper than, t- than simply transferring knowledge to somebody. It's deeper than sharing Bible stories and even memorizing Bible verses. It, it, it involves obediently following Jesus in order to become more like Jesus. It means that we then not only become like Him, because that's a great goal in and of itself, but we then help others do the same thing. When we invest our lives into someone else's life and help disciple them to become like Christ, and then they go out and make other disciples. And the process just keeps on going. That's the way the Great Commission is supposed to work. And if we're truly going to call ourselves disciples, and if we're going to obey the Great Commission... I think we need to understand what a disciple is. Because I feel like the church has missed the mark on making disciples. I'm not talking about First Baptist. I think there's enough research to say that the church at large has missed the mark on making disciples. We've taught people. We've sent people. But have we really authentically discipled people? And according to Jesus, and I'll be honest, we've won a lot of converts. We've made a lot of people that have now claimed to be Christian and sit in pews, but we have not made disciples. So what does a biblical disciple look like? The New Testament shares at least 10, there's probably many, many more aspects of being a disciple of Jesus. And here are the top 10 from my point of view. A disciple is someone, one, who is totally committed to Christ. Look at Luke 14, 26 and Matthew 6, 33 in your spare time. Two, it's someone who's willing to carry his or her individual burden to sacrifice for Christ and for his cause, Luke 14, 27. It's one who seriously considers the cost before following Christ, Luke 14, 28. It's one who's willing to give up all earthly possessions. I, I, we, lost, we lost the church right there. Luke 14, 28 as well. No, 33, I'm sorry. It's one who continues in God's word and experiences freedom in Christ, John 8. It's one who genuinely loves other believers, John 13, 35. It's one who abides in Christ, 
prays to Christ, bears fruit for Christ, and glorifies God, John 15, 5 through 8. It's one who's full of the Holy Spirit, Acts 14, 52, and in Galatians chapter 5. It's one who obediently follows the desires of the Master, Matthew 26, 19. And lastly, it's one who is intimately involved in the mission of Jesus to make other disciples, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And so our questions, our application this morning are fairly straightforward and simple. Do these attributes of a disciple describe you? Can you describe yourself as one who's involved in the mission of Christ to make other disciples in the world? One who genuinely loves others. One who's willing to give up all earthly possessions. Who continues in God's word and experiences freedom. Does this describe you? And if not, why? If they do, and you can say honestly, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. Are you personally involved in the Great Commission? Are you now a disciple maker? Helping others become more like Christ. Who make other disciples. And if not, why? Are you just making converts? Are you just making church members? Or are you helping make sold out followers of Christ who will change the world one person at a time? Because that's what the Great Commission is all about. I myself cannot reach 3.28 billion people. But maybe this year I can reach and disciple one. Maybe if God really helps me, I can reach and disciple five. And maybe over the course of my lifetime, I reach and disciple 30. You say, well, that don't sound like a lot. You know what? If I've discipled that 30, that means that 30 is going to go out and disciple 30 more. And they're going to disciple 30 more. And you see how it just explodes if we do it the way that Jesus told us to do it. Stand together. Let's close in prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, you have called us to the most impossible task that has ever been given. To reach and to disciple the entire world. To take your gospel to the ends of the earth. Lord, I know that some days I don't look like a disciple. I don't act like or talk like a disciple. When I look at what it means to be a disciple, Lord, I'm, I'm challenged and I'm, I'm convicted. So first and foremost, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be better followers of you. We'd be more obedient. We'd be more sincere, more trusting, more faithful. And in that, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be more better disciple makers find that one that one in our life that maybe we can reach that one that we can disciple who may be a discipler of many and I'm so thankful Lord that you didn't give us this task and just send us out but you gave us the promise of promises that you yourself would be with us to encourage to equip to protect to guide us Lord, I pray that we'd be found faithful with the work that you've entrusted us to do as individuals and also as your church. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This morning, if you need to recommit to the work that God's called us to as a great commission, I just invite you to come and do that. If there's a decision that you need to make, something that you've been 
thinking about, praying about, whether it's baptism or salvation, following Jesus, whether it's church membership, I just invite you to come this morning and share that with your church family as we sing a song of invitation. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.